Amos chapter number 3. And uh, through Sunday nights we've been preaching on the book of Amos. And uh, we have we began in uh, chapter number 1, verse 1. Where else would we begin? Somebody say amen to that. And uh, we've just sort of been walking our way through the book of, of Amos. But this week, and Lord willing, next week, I, I feel as though the Lord would have us take and, and preach a little on the book of Amos on Sunday morning. So we'll preach on something a little bit different uh, this evening and then uh, next Sunday night, and then we may switch, switch her right back around. We try to keep the devil and the Baptist guessing. Amen. Because they're both, they both are, are, are creatures of habit. Amen. And uh, so we want to do what we can to make sure our hearts are fresh for the Lord. Well, wasn't that good if you were part of prayer meeting Friday night? Wasn't that good? I don't know about you, you know, the way we, we do it around here, and I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, but, you know, we take the night in shifts, and um, so I don't know how good it was for you, but I know it was sure good for me, and uh, it helped me, and the Lord uh, was awful good in meeting with us, and I just praise the Lord. I believe it's probably the best one we've had, and um, I, I just exalt the name of the Lord Jesus for that. What a blessing that was. All right, the book of Amos, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number one. I remember hearing years ago, uh, Dr. Tom Malone uh, talking about reading Scripture, and he always said, read lots of Scripture. That way, if you get persecuted in one passage, you can flee to another. Amen? And uh, But he said, really, that ain't why I read a lot of Scripture. He said, really, I read a lot of Scripture so I can get nerve enough to preach. Now, we're not going to read a lot of Scripture, but we are going to begin in verse number one. We'll read down to verse number 12. Give us a little bit of context for the passage this morning. Verse number one, the Word of God says, Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servants the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Publish in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria. Behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Now, that's a, that's a pretty dark message. God's pronouncing judgment upon His people. He says there's an adversary coming from the north like a roaring lion that's going to devour the land of Israel and going to destroy them. But I like verse 12. I think we'll preach on it this morning. Verse 12 says, Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. Let's pray together. Father, we love You this morning. What a blessing to be in Your house. Help me as I preach Thy Word, Lord. I pray You give clarity to my thoughts and conciseness to my words. And 
May, Lord, in all this there be demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God, that He may have liberty to move upon hearts this morning, to arrest our will and bring it under submission to His will, and, Lord, to gain more ground in our lives that we might look more like Jesus at the end of this service this morning. Uh, May our hearts be tender. May we be receptive. May we be honest with ourselves and honest with You. And may we be open to the work You desire to do. Bless each heart, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Amos is written essentially to pronounce judgment upon the kingdom of Israel. When Amos pinned down this prophecy, the kingdom of Israel had been divided, or the land of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. You had the southern kingdom that was comprised of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And then remember there were twelve tribes of Israel. The northern kingdom was the other ten tribes up there. And uh, typically, when you study a minor prophet in the Old Testament, uh, most of them are either talking to Judah or they're talking to Israel. There's some exceptions to that. But Amos was one of these fellows that God commissioned and called to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel. And when you walk through the book of Amos, it is a calculating book. It is an evidentiary book. It is God laying forth the argument as to why judgment must come upon His Precious people, His covenant people. Uh, The Bible calls Israel the apple of His eye. But whenever Israel chose to sin, the holiness of God cried out and demanded for judgment upon that iniquity. You say, what does that mean to you, preacher? Well, I'll tell you what it means to me and what it ought to mean to us. If God would judge Israel, don't you know He'll judge you and me? If Israel, I'm talking about people that had a promised note from God and a covenant relationship with God. If God would judge them for their iniquity, don't you think if you or me walk contrary to the truth of the Word of God, that God will judge you and me as well? When we walk through this book, we find a stark, alarming message relentlessly the Holy Ghost asks question after question, almost like a a prosecutor in a court of law laying out the evidence for the prosecution of the defense. He says in verse number 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? God says, we're not walking together, but I'm the Lord thy God. I change not. I didn't walk away from you. You've walked away from me. God's saying, what am I supposed to do except judge you when you refuse to walk in accordance with my word, verse 4 says, Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? God says, I'm sounding forth judgment upon you because judgment is indeed coming. The lion, when he stalks his prey, he doesn't make a noise. He doesn't make a single disruptive sound. He does not roar until he's got his prey within his grasp. And God is telling His people, the lion is roaring because judgment has already come. Verse 5, he says, Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? In other words, he's saying, you're getting ready to fall in a trap. Don't think for one minute it's just bad luck. Don't think for one minute it's just the luck of the draw. Don't forget, don't think for one minute it's just an unfortunate set of circumstances. He says, if there's a trap, Somebody set a trap. If there is a snare, someone stretched a snare. And he said, the Assyrians are getting ready to come down and destroy you, and that's not by accident. He said, shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? He said, people are going to watch your fall, and they're going to see the judgment of God and attribute it to God's judgment upon your life. Verse 6, he says, shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? He said, you know, if a physical enemy was at your gates, you'd blow a trumpet and you'd respond, you'd react, you'd start making preparations, uh, you'd start securing your house, you'd reach for your weapons. He said, but I'm blowing the trumpet of the promise of God's judgment and it's falling on deaf 
ears. He said, shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it. Now, he's not talking about moral unrighteousness when he says evil, but he's talking about bad events, uh, terrible times, troubled times, tumultuous times. And he's saying, you think uh, that judgment can fall on this city and God have nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm talking about prosecutionary questions. What he's doing is leading them to a place where they have to admit that they have walked away from God and are deserving of His judgment. They have to admit that God is bringing judgment upon them and that when judgment comes, it will have been God that has judged them. This passage sort of really ends in verse 11. Uh, look back at verse 10 and verse 11. This is the sad result of it all. He says about Israel, For they know not to do right, saith the Lord. Now, they knew what was right but they chose to not do right. And he said, you know, to look at them, it's almost like they don't even know what right and wrong is anymore. So God says, this is what's going to happen. Verse 11, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. God said, judgment is coming. And when it comes, it's going to destroy you. It's going to rob you of your luxury. It's going to rob you of your security. It's going to rob you of your safety. Uh, It's going to destroy this way of life that you have come to enjoy. And you're going to be carried away captive. You're going to be made a spoil of an enemy that's going to come in and destroy you. We know historically that's exactly what happened. We know the Assyrians came in, marched in, and took the uh, northern kingdom captive and really destroyed them. In fact, you read in your New Testament, the Bible talks about Samaritans. talks about how Jews didn't like Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like Jews. Uh, the reason for that is Samaritans were the descendants of, uh, of Assyrians and Jews that had intermarried with each other. And uh, Samaritans considered the Jews uh, to be people that had abandoned them or their ancestors in their time of need. And the Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean because they were half Jew and half Gentile. Exactly like God said it would happen. The Assyrians came down, uh, destroyed the northern kingdom, uh, intermarried their people with the Jews took away captive those that they could, and the land of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, was gone as we know it. Now, you and I look at that and we'd say, Preacher, there's no return from that. I mean, there's no, there is no way out of that. You ever seen somebody so broken that you thought, Man, they just can't be saved. They can't be helped. They can't be redeemed. They cannot be rescued from themselves. You ever met anybody like that? Hey, I, did you ever meet anybody like that? You, if I'm going to preach, you got to be here with me. Amen? I'm talking about I've known people and I know the power of the gospel of Christ. I, I know the power of the redeeming grace of God. But I'm talking about I've looked at people and I thought they was a lost case. I've looked at them and thought to myself, I know that the gospel can change their life. I know that the grace of God is sufficient for them. But do I really believe they'll ever acknowledge their lost condition? Do I really believe they'll ever own up to their brokenness? Do I really believe that they will ever come face to face with their helplessness and hopelessness? And if I was to be honest in my flesh, I mean, my flesh sat back and said, I know God can do it, but I'm not sure if they will ever let Him do it. Look at them and think to yourself, man, there's no hope. Then we come to verse 12. Now remember, in this in this analogy here, the lion that's being spoken of, there's a time it's talked about as though almost like it's the voice of God. And the reason is because the Assyrians were sent by God. And it becomes apparent that we come to verse 12, the Assyrians that are being talked to, or that line that's being talked about are the Assyrians. The Assyrian oppressors, uh, the arm, the ministration of the judgment of God upon them. And Israel is likened to a helpless, defenseless sheep or, or lamb. And the, rav- the, the line has ravaged the lamb. But look what it says in verse 12. Thus saith the Lord, 
I'm glad that there was another, thus saith the Lord. I'm glad. If you look back through this chapter, you with me this morning? You look back through this chapter, in verse 11, there, there is a thus saith the Lord, and it brings an adversary. But I'm glad there's another thus saith the Lord in verse 12, and it brings an advocate, aren't you? I, I, I realize we got an ad- adversary this morning, but thank God we got an advocate this morning. I'm glad there was another thus saith the Lord. And here's what it says. Thus saith the Lord, verse 12, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. You know, when I read this passage, it's a reminder to me of the grace of God in my life. If you know the Lord in your life, I look at what God did for Israel. And I know this is talking about Israel. That's not lost on me. We've been preaching through the book of Amos. We've got the whole... If you've been here on Sunday nights, we've got the whole context. We understand what's going on. I know it's talking about Israel. I know it's talking about Assyria. I know it's talking about Jehovah in His capacity and relationship as the national God of Israel. But I don't know about you, but I can't help but read that verse and see myself and be reminded of what God has done in my life. When I read through it, there's three thoughts that sort of jump out to me. I'm just going to give these to you and then we'll go to the house. How's that sound this morning? Let me say, number one, I want us to notice the devouring lion. The Bible describes this lamb, this sheep, as falling into the into the claws and into the power and into the, the jaws of a lion, a devouring lion that ravages this sheep, that eats this sheep and consumes it, and there's nothing left when it's all done except a couple of legs and a piece of an ear. Now, I know that's talking about Assyria, and I have no question about that, but I can't help but think about a New Testament passage that reminds me, just as the Bible says in verse number 11 there'd be an adversary, just as the Bible says in verse number 12 that that adversary would be a lion. I don't know about you, but my New Testament synapses start firing off when I when I read that. And I can't help but think about what Brother Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8. Israel had an adversary that day. That adversary that day acted and looked and behaved like a devouring lion. But you know, Peter says this to us New Testament believers in 1 Peter 5 eight. He says, be sober. Now, he's not just saying don't be drunk. That doesn't mean he wants you to be drunk. He just takes it for granted. You know it's a sin to be drunk. And he's not talking about sober in the sense of, of chemically sober, but he's talking about mentally sober. He's saying, you better wake up and pay attention. Then he says, you better be vigilant. In other words, a vigilant man is somebody that's scanning the horizon like a watchman upon a city wall watching for any threat, for any danger that might come. He says, be sober, be vigilant. And here's why. Because he said, your adversary, the devil. That means you and I, we got an adversary. His name is the devil. The devil is not a generic term for trouble and turmoil or what we would call bad luck or bad karma if we didn't believe in the Bible. The devil is not just a literary tool that's used to represent an opposing side. The Bible teaches us that the devil is a real individual. He is the opponent of Christ. He is the opponent of God. He opposeth all things of God. He opposes us as the children of God. And he desires to destroy our lives. We have an adversary. He's standing against us because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. I don't believe anything in this King James Bible is there by accident. Do you? And I just can't help but think, here's Israel in the Old Testament. They've got an adversary. We've got an adversary. Here's Israel in the Old Testament. 
And they're almost like sheep. And I go to the New Testament and find that we are the sheep of His pasture. I look in the Old Testament and see, here's Israel. They're like a sheep and they've got an adversary. And that adversary behaves like a lion. And I come over to the New Testament and find that we too have an adversary. And he behaves as a lion. And we're like helpless sheep before him. His name is the devil. I see this devouring lion in Amos chapter 3 and it reminds me of the devil. And you know, when you think about that analogy, it sort of makes sense. Let, let me describe what I mean in the way the devil acts and the way that that uh, that uh, a lion acts. The Bible, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion. Here's what he does. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I got to thinking about the predicament this lamb finds itself in in the Old Testament and thinking about what that scene would have looked like. You can imagine the shepherd with a whole herd, a whole flock of sheep up on a hillside. And you can imagine if you had x-ray vision or if you saw it the way the cameras do on Discovery Channel, you could look through the weeds, you could look through the brush, and you'd see those yellow eyes of that lion. You wouldn't hear a word. You wouldn't know he was there. You wouldn't be able to smell him. You wouldn't be able to hear him. You wouldn't be able to sense him in any way. But there's those eyes watching that flock of sheep, waiting for his opportunity to pounce on one of those sheep. You know, I, I think when we read in, in Amos chapter chapter 3, verse 12, that the lamb didn't get taken because he had a cowardly shepherd. I think it's apparent from the passage he don't have a cowardly shepherd. After, after this lamb is all but devoured, the shepherd goes and he fights that lion. And the Bible says he taketh that sheep out of the mouth of the lion. It wasn't the shepherd was weak. It wasn't the shepherd was unattentive. It wasn't the shepherd didn't care. But it was rather that evidently that sheep wandered away. And here's what that lion was doing. A lion stalks its prey. Peter says he walketh about. And here's what he's doing. He's seeking now, uh, you and I, you may say, preacher, you're paranoid. That's fine if you want to say that. Maybe I am. If you had as many people out to get you as out there are out to get me, you'd be paranoid too. Amen? Right? Let me take my tenfold hat off for a second. I don't know about you, but I just happen to believe the devil has a desire to destroy your life and mine. I, I, I don't think it's just bad luck. I, I think I don't think it's just misfortune. Let me say this. While I do think we reap the product of our bad decisions, I also think that there is spiritual wickedness. I think the forces of the devil himself, it may not be him individually, personally, but certainly his emissaries, his agents, they desire. The devil is walking around and he's just looking for someone whose life he can destroy. That means he's looking for your life. He's looking for my life. He's looking for your marriage and my marriage. He's looking for your kids. He's looking for my kids. Hey, he's looking for our church. He's looking for our fellowship. He's looking for our testimony. I'm saying this. The, 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 the lion didn't just bump into the lamb he was looking for. Flocks don't move quickly and they sure don't move quietly. The lion didn't just happen upon that lamb. He was looking for that lamb. Let me tell you something, in your life and mine, we need to understand there is an adversary, there is an opposing will that desires to see our life fall into ruin. This is no playground we're living in. It's a battleground. It's spiritual warfare. And the sooner we wise up to that, the sooner we'll be more capable of raising our children, of loving our spouse, of serving our God, of laboring in our church. The sooner we wake up and realize playtime's over, this thing's real, He'll destroy us if He can. 
He's seeking you and I. He stalks the, the lamb. But then I thought about this now, and we sort of talked about it a little bit, but how could he get to that lamb? I, I, I mean, we understand this shepherd, and we understand who the shepherd is, all right? I'll go ahead and give away the end of the message. We know who the shepherd is, right? We understand the lion is no match for the shepherd. We understand that he stalks the sheep. He don't just walk straight up into the flock and say, I want that one. He don't walk up and try to uh, try to devour and destroy the, the shepherd. You know why? He knows he ain't no match for it. He's not just going to run out into the middle. So here's what he has to do. He has to stalk. You know what he has to do to, to get to that lamb? Listen now. He, don't, he not only stalks his prey, he separates his prey. Why is it that lamb congregate together in, in flocks? And why is it that a shepherd leads his lambs in flocks? The reason is because there's strength in numbers. And even the lion knows this. You can watch these nature shows and you've seen it and I've seen it. They'll be stalking through the grass and you know they're always looking for the, for the weakest or the sickest. Well, let's just go ahead and be honest, the dumbest. I'm preaching about you. I'm preaching about me. Don't get upset. The slowest, he looks for the one that can be separated from the rest of the flock. You know, that's what the devil's trying to do to you and me. He's trying to separate us from the flock. He knows that the chances of him being able to walk into a Sunday morning preaching service with the Spirit of God rolling thick and heavy and the testimony of the saints of God and the choir singing out the preaching of the Word of God, hey, he'd have a tough time selling you on his plan if he walked in this morning. He'd have a tough time between now and next Sunday or that Sunday and the one after. But he knows if he can get you by yourself for long enough, pretty soon he'll catch you going slow enough in your obedience to God, sick enough as it relates to your spiritual well-being concerning sin. He'll get you by yourself, separated from fellowship, separated from your walk with God, and then he has you where he wants you. I notice that he, he separates. That's the only way he can get to him. And then what does he do? Uh, the Bible says he, he is seeking. He walks about seeking. But he's not just seeking anybody. He's seeking whom he may devour. Who allows themselves to be ensnared within his grip and with his hold. And what does he want to do when he does that? He is walking about. He is seeking whom he may what? Whom he may devour. I notice in this passage, evidently the lion savages his prey. Because whenever the shepherd finally makes it there, and I don't know about you, especially if it's if it's relating to the Lord, I can't imagine that that sheep was out of the shepherd's sight for very long at all. It did not take long. I'm going to say that again until the Holy Ghost makes us all understand it. It did not take long. It did not take long for the lion to consume the sheep. We think of this thing, we, we talk about the long work of sin in people's lives. We talk about people whose lives have, bear scars and, and bear pain from long years of hard living in sin. Can I tell you something? You live long in sin. If you live long at all, you will live hard. But you know that that, that choice to get out of the will of God, out of the, the Word of God, and to get in that life of sin, that didn't happen over a long period of time. That choice happened quickly. Then the lion had you in its, in its jaws. The lion had you in its grasp and you could not break free. I, I, and once he has that, lion, that lamb, what does he do? He devours it. He doesn't pet it. He doesn't partner with it. He doesn't promote it. He doesn't protect it. He devours it. You know, I don't know what promises the devil's made you. 
And you say, well, now wait a minute, preacher. The devil ain't made this ain't, I, you're, you're being dramatic. The devil don't make me promise. I'm not getting out of the will of God. I'm not, no, listen, that's not how it happens. He's smarter than you, apparently. That's not how he does that. Instead, he comes along with the allure and temptations of the world and he convinces you that it's just a minor compromise and it's just a little letting off of the throttle of your spiritual development. He gets you to just take a little bit of a vacation from walking with God, just a little bit of break of moving forward in your spiritual walk. And that's all it takes. All he has to do is slow you down enough to get you away from the flock and then he's got you. Then when he's got you, he devours you. The Bible says what a mangled mess this lamb must have been when the shepherd walked up on it. It's apparent this lamb was no longer alive anymore. Now you say, well, man, that's hopeless. Well, not if your shepherd is God. If your shepherd is God, he can take a couple leg bones and an ear and do a lot with it. You, you know, we all come, you ladies, you came from a rib in the first place, right? You understand us men, we came from a handful of dirt in the first place anyway. So, so we may look at it and say, what could God do? But God's done a lot more with a lot less than what the devil has left you and I. Just saying, there's still hope. We look at it and say it's hopeless, and no wonder we would. The lion, his only desire is to consume the lamb. He'll kill it, he'll eat it, and he'll leave only that which has no use behind. He takes a life. Listen now. He takes a life, and he leaves a carcass. What's a carcass? A carcass is proof there used to be a life there. You know any carcasses? I'm talking about people that the devil took a life, and he left a carcass. And they still walk around. <laughs> And they still they still live a life, so to speak. But that life ain't really a life worth living. He takes a life and he leaves a carcass. And you say, what can God do with a carcass? He can breathe life into these dead bones. But make no mistake about it. Listen, he don't want to leave any part of you that's valuable left over. He wants to destroy everything. So I, I see this devouring line and it, and it makes me think of the devil. But then I cannot help but notice this diminishing lamb. This lamb that had everything that he needed. I mean, a shepherd that would go and would fight for this lamb, surely that shepherd took good care of his sheep. Surely he he did his best to protect them. And surely he led them into green pastures. And surely he led them beside still waters. I mean, surely, I'd say this, this lamb probably had it about as good as a lamb could get it in the day that he was living. But by the time we see him, there's not much left of it. Boy, I don't... I, and, I, and Lord, lead me in what I'm saying... If He gets a hold of you, there won't be much left. He can't take your salvation if you're saved by the grace of God. He can't take your salvation, but He can sure enough take your joy. He can take your testimony. He can take your effectiveness. And if you think those things ain't worth anything, you ain't looked at it from the other side of eternity. He don't leave much left. And how did that take place? Well, I notice a few things here. Let me notice first off, and I think this is a fair question to ask. Let's ask this. What is the reason for His loss? How did this lamb get in this shape in the first place? He had everything he needed, so why this lamb and not another lamb? Some of us have said, well, it's happened to them, preacher, but it could never happen to me. Yeah, they probably said that too. They might have said it about you, amen? It could happen to you, it could happen to me, but here's how it takes place. I thought to myself, well, evidently, that lion must have got that lamb off by itself. And it's a reminder to me that, listen, this all happened to this lamb. Number one, it was caused by distance from the shepherd. I said distance from the shepherd. In other words, that sheep evidently was following at some time Probably, I mean, I don't know, and, and again, we're dealing in allegory and, and, and illustration to some point, but, but you imagine at some point that sheep had probably been near the front of the, of the flock. 
you imagine that sheep, I mean, it knew its, its master's voice. So, so you would imagine at some point it had been in close proximity to that shepherd. Then all of a sudden it got shuffled to the back of the flock. But hey, you know, it was still with the flock. I said it got shuffled to the back of the flock. But it said, that's okay, I'm still with the flock. You know, if you're at the back of the flock, you're just, you're just about like a hundred yards from being out of the flock. I said, if you're at the back of the flock, you're just like about making, you're just almost out. It's like a man foolish enough to set up in an open window. You know, the book of Acts tells us about a fellow like that. You know the kind of folks that fall out of windows? The kind that sit in them when they're open. You know the kind of sheep that lag behind and fall out of the flock? The kinds that was hanging out in the back of the flock in the first place. I'm saying this, there are safe places to be in the flock. Now listen, only God in heaven can determine where our spiritual development ranks and sets. But I'm saying this, it ought not be enough to just be in the flock. I said it not, ought not just be enough to us just to be in the flock. I, I, I'm saying it ought not just be enough to be here Sunday morning. It ought not just be enough even to be here Sunday night. It ought not just be enough just to even be here Wednesday night. I'm saying our spiritual development should not just be showing up and saying present. We ought to strive to be at the front of the flock, not at the back. This sheep was at the back of the flock. Pretty soon, didn't take long. I don't know if they were climbing a hill and that sheep got a little slow. I don't know if they were crossing a stream and that sheep was the last one to cross. But somehow, some way along the way, there was some distance between that sheep and the shepherd. You know, you might look at your life and you might say to yourself, you know, I don't know when. I don't know if it was on an uphill climb in life when things got tough. I don't know if it was when we were crossing a stream and it was at a place of crucial decision. But somewhere along the way, a little distance developed between me and the shepherd. Can I tell you something? You're living on dangerous ground. You better close that distance quick as you can. Preacher, how can I do that? Well, you know, Peter gave us the answer. I'm talking about right there in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's like he knew something about this thing. And he said this, draw nigh unto God and He'll draw nigh unto you. Close that distance. You remember a man in the New Testament? Could be this is why he maybe knew something about it. His name was Peter. And in the New Testament, Christ, Christ told him, said, Peter, listen, Satan, the lion... Your adversary, Satan, he hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He's trying to get you alone, Peter, so he can destroy you. Christ said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, or, uh, strengthen the brethren. Peter looked at him and just sort of laughed and said, I'll never forsake you. I'd never leave you. That's how people talk when they're at the front of the flock. I'd never, it'd never be me. But you know, that very night, the Bible says they took Jesus under arrest and began to lead Him away. And you know, Luke, I don't know if Peter in the book of Mark just didn't have the heart to share this with, with John Mark, but, but Luke, somehow the Holy Ghost made sure he knew. And Luke said this, that Peter, you know what he did? He followed afar off. He's still following. But he followed afar off. Pretty soon he was sitting beside the world's fires warming his hands and cursing the name of his Savior. You know, I don't think we really realize. The Bible says Peter went out that night after the, after the rooster crowed the third time and the, the eyes, the eternal eyes of our Savior looked through his eyes and into his soul and his conscience. The Bible says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. That was his sifting. He was in the grips and claws of the lion that night. And it just about destroyed him. How did that happen? He's following afar off. I think it's caused by, by distance. But now, any, any good, any good shepherd, I'm not a good shepherd, maybe you are, I don't know. Any good shepherd knows that 
Sheep, the only way, thing you got to do to keep them together, really, you got the, the, Christ alluded to this. He said, my sheep, they know my voice. They hear my voice and they know me. And he said, and they follow me. So here's how the shepherd keeps his sheep in line. If they're his sheep, he'll, he'll cry out. He's got that, that staff. He's got that rod. But that's really for the predators, right? And, 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 the, and, and the, 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 the crook of that, of that staff, that's really just to pick them up when they get in a mess. Here's how they're supposed to follow. Is the shepherd supposed to call out to them and they just obey? And they go where he says and they do what he says and they know where they need to be because they just listen to where his voice is. They just listen to where his voice is. If they ain't hearing his voice, they're not where they need to be. I said if they're, if they ain't hearing his voice, they're just not where they need to be, right? If they're, if they're, if, if, if all of a sudden they go listen to him and he's not there, they start looking for him. But you know what happened? The sheep, he got distracted. He got distracted. The shepherd had cried out his, his name, and instead of going back, he did what my little boy, my little two-year-old does. I got my little two-year-old got more nerve than anybody I've ever met in my life. I'll call his name. He'll just keep walking. I'm talking about like I ain't nobody in the world. He'll just keep walking. And sometimes I'll say, Schofield! He'll go... Just keep walking. <laughs> the nerve of him, the nerve of us, that we'd be walking and he'd call our name and we'd just keep walking. And then he gets a little loud. He says, Toby! We go and just keep walking. Not long, we're off by ourselves. That's where the line gets us. It's caused by distraction. It was caused by distance. It was caused by disobedience. We see the reason for his loss and what resulted in that. Notice the, the ruin of his life. The Bible says when that lion gets done with this lamb, the only thing left is two legs and an ear. And, and the words used there, they kind of have the idea not of legs covered with, with good meat, good to eat, but just sort of leg bones. It's all that was left. That was all that the shepherd wrestled away. It was just nothing but just old, old uh, bare leg bones and a piece of an ear. What a sad sad testimony and life. Well, how tragic. If you're a shepherd that loves sheep, one of the things, and I've known people that have had to do it, and there's probably people in this room had to do it, but this is unimaginable to me, is for a parent to have to walk up on the loss of a child and identify them as their child or, or walk up and look down and see the, the brokenness of their frame and of, and of their body. And I can't imagine, can you imagine as that shepherd walks up? We know how the shepherd in Scripture, how they love their sheep, how they pursue after them whenever they're lost, how they take them and throw them up onto their shoulders and how they'll leave the ninety and nine just to go after the one. We know how the shepherds love their sheep. And you can you imagine? Imagine what a tragic thing it was when the shepherd walked up and saw this lion just gnawing on what was left of his sheep. He'd probably look at it and, and, and we would say this, that its beauty had been devoured. What had once been a beautiful animal, especially to that shepherd that knew it and loved that sheep, all the beauty, all of the joy, all of the luster, all of the enjoyment that that sheep may have had in the in the care of its shepherd and in the pastures that it that it grazed in all of that was gone all of the beauty had been removed you know the bible talks about the book of isaiah because of the disobedience of god's people their beauty turning to ashes you know it won't take long in the in the lion's grip before our beauty will diminish 
I'm not talking about physical beauty, although it's possible sin can devour that too. But I'm talking about the beauty of life, the enjoyment, the peace, the love, the praise, the song. It won't take long if we let the lion get a hold of us. And that will all be gone. Its beauty was destroyed. And then I noticed that its benefit was destroyed. Now, a lamb is only raised for one of three things. It's either raised for food, for wool, or for worship. It's the only reason they exist. You can raise goats for me and, and milk them and stuff, but, but that's not why you raise a sheep. You either raise it for food, you're going to eat it, or for wool, you're going to shear it and use it to make, to, to make cloth and, and wool and garments, or you're going to use it to sacrifice and, and use it for worship. And you know this lamb, by the time, I said by the time that this line was done with it, it wasn't fit for any of those things. Man, I, and I wasn't going to preach this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. I, I think about the food and how we ought to be a, uh, that, that we in our lives ought to feast upon the Word of God. And not only that, that we are to be an offering to the Lord for His consumption, for His satisfaction, but a broken life by sin and by the adversary does not satisfy Him. I think about that wool, and you know, they'd take that, that wool and they'd make garments, and it reminds me in the New Testament, we're told that the, that, that garments are a picture of righteousness, and when the devil gets done with you, there won't be no righteousness left in your life. And I think about the worship. That lamb would have been raised up for sacrifice, but he could only be sacrificed if he was spotless. He could only be sacrificed if he was pure. There would be no real worship there once the lion got done with him. Man, what a mess the devil can make of our lives. He can make your life not even worth living. Not any real practicable benefit to you or even to the work and will of God. I see the ruin of his life, but then I notice the remnant of the lamb. Now this is going to be real important. You say, well that don't mean much. Well it did to the shepherd. There was something still there. What what was left there? Well the Bible tells us it was two legs and, and one ear. Now what does that mean? Well I think probably there is a there is a prophetic meaning as it relates to Israel. I think the two legs reflect the fact that God is going to call both kingdoms back into the land at the end of the tribulation period. And both of those lands are going to be rejoined like the Bible talks about in the book of Ezekiel, the joining together of the sticks and the, the breathing of life back into the dry bones. I, I think God's going to rejoin the kingdom and there'll be one kingdom under the Lord Jesus Christ during the millennium. You say, what about that ear? I don't know about you. When I, when I, I mean, I, what's an ear good for except to listen? And that sort of reminds me that there's going to be a faithful remnant during the tribulation period of Jewish people uh, under the preaching of the 144,000 that listen to the message that God gives. And I think that's probably what it's talking about. But, you know, when I apply it to my life, it reminds me of what the, what the Lord makes sure. What the Lord makes sure that no matter what else, if we still draw a breath, we still have these two things. I thought about the fact that there was an ear left to listen. In other words, there was a way to receive the truth. You know, no matter how broken we are, if we still got a thought in our head and a breath in our lungs, we can still hear the word of truth. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh how? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know, isn't it good that no matter how broken a person's life may be, no matter how ravaged their life might be, no matter how much the devil has diminished and devoured and consumed and destroyed them, that God made sure that what they need to get right and be right and do right, they've still got. They can still hear the Word of God. And if God just has an open ear, imagine, there's no limit to what He can do. You know, in the, all through the Bible, you know what God says? He doesn't say, let him that hath an eye to see, see. 
He doesn't say, let him that hath a mouth to talk, talk. He says, let him that hath an ear to hear, hear. All God needs is just a little piece of an ear and He can get His truth. And then the Bible says He left two legs. I thought about that. Why Why one ear but two legs? And I was always raised, and you were too, to be told that we got two ears and one mouth uh, because we ought to listen twice as much as we, as we talk. I think my parents just thought I talked too much. But <laughs> why do you leave two legs? Well, here's why, Brother Ken, because you can listen with one ear, but you can't walk typically with one leg. I understand, but we got crutches, we got all, but I'm talking about, typically speaking, a, a person couldn't walk with one leg. They could listen with one ear, but they couldn't walk with one leg. So God made sure that no matter what the devil did, no matter what the lion did in destroying this land, made sure it still had an ear to hear, it could still receive the truth. And listen now, it still had two legs so it could walk, so that it could return to the shepherd. You say, preacher, that, that, that sheep wasn't going nowhere. I know that, but why'd God leave two legs? I think He's trying to remind us this, that no matter what the devil does in your life and mine, God made sure that we can always hear the truth and we can always make the decision to come back to Him. I see the remnant of this lamb. So I, when I read this passage, I see a devouring lion. That reminds me of the devil. And then I see this diminishing lamb. That reminds me of people being a lost sinners who are in the bond of iniquity and they're in their lost condition. Or even being saved individuals that have allowed backsliddenness, rebellion to set in. It just simply reminds me of people that the devil's trying to destroy and that they're allowing him to gain time in their life. But then, and this is really what it's all about, I also see in this passage the delivering Lord. There's a lion. We got a lion. There's a lamb. We're the lamb. Thank God there's a shepherd. Thank God they had a shepherd. And thank God we have a shepherd. Well, what can we say about this shepherd? First thing I notice is his calculation. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, that shepherd made a decision. He walked up on that scene and he could have walked away. I don't know what you would have done or I would have done. I bet we would have turned and walked away. I bet we would have walked up and we would have seen that ferocious lion. We would have seen that fierce opponent. We would have seen that deadly adversary. We would have looked down and saw the ruined remnants of that lamb. And here's what we would have said. We would have said, I'll go ahead and take him. But that's not the calculation the shepherd made. The shepherd looked at this ruined carcass and he said to himself, listen now, he said, that's worth fighting for. That's worth fighting for. Think about the energy and, and exertion. Think about the intense battle that must have taken place when he goes and grabs hold of this carcass and begins to pull back and forth and buffet the lion and wrestle it out of his jaws. Think about the great energy and investment it took to get this carcass back. You know, it sort of reminds me, and I, I thought when I was studying this, I kept thinking about Hebrews chapter number 2. Can I, can I read a verse to you, verse number 14? This is what it, it sort of reminds me of. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. You know, Christ went through a lot to save you and me. He left the glories of heaven. He walked amongst men. He healed men. He suffered the shame and humiliation of the rejection of men. He went to the cross of Calvary. He died in your place and mine. He looked at us and said, Hey, they may not look like much, but I think they're worth fighting for. Think about all the investment 
God made on your part and mine. Think about the home He had us born into. Think about the, the, the men of God He's put in our life throughout our years. Think about the opportunities of grace that He has, has given us. Think about the extension of the ministration of mercy when we should have been snuffed out. But the, the mercy of God protected us. I'm saying this, God's put a lot of time in on you and me. He must think we're worth something. Look down and say, that, 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 that lamb, that sheep, I believe it's worth fighting for. But then number two, now, now we know who the shepherd is, right? We know. We know that your shepherd, my shepherd, we know that the Lord is my shepherd. We understand that Jesus Christ, He's the, He's the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd. Uh, uh, he's the bishop of our souls. We, we understand that. But in this analogy, this is just an old shepherd, right? Now, I, I don't know about you, but if I was walking up online, it's like you see these guys that wrestle black bears. You ever seen this? That's crazy. I ain't never seen one wrestle a grizzly. That's a little bit different calculation, right? He walks up and he looks at this line. Now, you and I know how the story ends and we know what it represents. But that shepherd, that it was in the mind of Amos, who, by the way, had been a shepherd, you know, he must have thought to himself, I go down there and try to take this thing away from that line. I may not come back from this. I may have to give my life to rescue that carcass from its mouth. But here's what he said. I believe that I believe that sheep is worth fighting for. Not only that, I believe that sheep is worth dying for. If that's what it takes to get it out of the grip of the ship. Now, 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 out of the grip of life. Now, how can that not make us think of Jesus Christ? Who looked at your life and looked at my life and, and waited against eternity and the holiness of God and waited against His own life and said, No man taketh my life from me. He said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. And no man taketh my life from me. But He said, I do this. I lay it down. I lay it down that I might take it up again. No, listen, this power I received from my Father, nobody made Him go to Calvary. He looked at you and I and said they're worth dying for. You may look at your life and say it ain't worth much, but that's not how God feels about it. He thinks you're so valuable He'd be willing to give His only begotten Son to suffer and bleed and die just to pull your old carcass out of the mouth of the lion. Boy, I, I look at it I think about His calculation. I think about His courage. The Bible doesn't say He stood back and shot arrows at this line. Although a braver man than me it would take to do that. The Bible doesn't even say he did like David did and took a sling in his hand and, and fought a lion off. And I tell you, it sure take a braver man than me to do that. The Bible says about this shepherd that he went and he taketh that carcass out of the mouth of the lion. Reminds me of this. Evidently this shepherd, he met the lion. He didn't stand at the distance. He didn't set a trap for him. He didn't call for others. But one-on-one, he walked down and he stared that line straight in the face and reached down and grabbed that carcass. He got on the lion's level in the lion's arena in its domain and faced it down. You know, that reminds me of the Lord Jesus. That's what we read about a moment ago in Hebrews 2.14. He partook in flesh and blood. He didn't just set up in glory and cast Him or smite Him down. When He was tempted of Him in the wilderness 40 days, He didn't just speak Him out of existence, although He could have done that. He instead met Him face to face. I'm willing to enter into the domain of death, the Lord said. I'm willing to enter into the domain of suffering and agony. I'll meet the devil in hell if I have to, to rescue this lamb from its destruction. He met the lion, but then didn't end there. Evidently, the Bible didn't say he tried to take the, the, the two legs and the ear. The Bible says he taketh. He didn't try to take it. He, he took it. 
Say, what's the difference? The difference is is accomplishment. I remember hearing a preacher years ago ask one time at a meeting, he said, you're going to bring your young people to a youth conference. I said, well, I'm going to try. You know what that means, right? It means, no. But I said, I'm going to try. He said, did you did you try to brush your teeth this morning? I, I, I said, yeah. He said, did you do it? I said, well, yeah. He said, did you try to put on clothes this morning? I said, well, yeah. He said, did you do it? I said, yeah. He said, you try to drive this meeting tonight? I said, well, yeah. He said, you do it? I said, well, yeah. He said, sounds like you do the things you're going to try to do. I see you at youth meeting. Amen. <laughs> he didn't just try to take this carcass. The Bible says he taketh it. He took it. He mastered. He defeated the lion. The shepherd and the lion met face to face. And the shepherd walked away with the lamb. The Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same. And then this one says that through death. I'm talking about through death. I'm talking about he stood face to face with the lion. Through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. I'm glad there's victory in Jesus Christ this morning, aren't you? I'm glad the shepherd was victorious. Hey, if you're here and lost this morning in your sin, you don't know the Lord as your Savior, can I give you some good news? The shepherd has won. The Lord has won. You don't have to stay in the devil's power. You don't have to stay in your lost condition. You don't have to stay dead. He's able to redeem you and save you. All you have to do is come to Him and believe upon Him and ask Him to save you. And He'll take you out of that lion's mouth. So I thought about the the courage of the shepherd, and then finally I thought about the care of the shepherd. What did he do? Well, he didn't he he didn't just take that uh, that that carcass out of the mouth of the lion and then just leave it laying there. He retrieved it. He took it unto himself. You say, how do you know he did that? Because why else would he have took it out of the lion's mouth in the first place? I'm glad to know that he's able to take us out of the power of Satan. I'm glad to know He's able, Colossians says it this way, to translate us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. I'm glad to know there's help, there's hope this morning. We look down and see nothing but a couple old leg pieces and a piece of an ear and say, there's not much left there. God says, I'll die for it, I'll fight for it, I'll take it to myself, I'll redeem it, I'll pull it out of the mouth of the lion. I'm glad even when we say there's no hope, God sees hope. He retrieved the, the lamb. But then I, you know, I ask this question. All right, you with me? What make him do something like that? Again, I, I'm just trying to think as I would think. Even if I loved that lamb, I'd think, well, it's not the lamb that I'm rescuing. I mean, it's just a couple legs and, and a piece of an ear, right? I mean, that's what we say. We stand at a casket of a loved one. We, we all say the same thing. Well, they're not there. They're in heaven. That's just their shell. And that's true, right? Why, why would that shepherd go to retrieve that carcass? It has no personal benefit for him. He's not able to to appreciate the fellowship that he might have enjoyed at one time in, in, in having that lamb as a part of his flock. So why would he do that? And you know, one of the commentators made an interesting comment that I thought, you know, he may be on to something. Listen to what a commentary said about this. It talked about the piece of the ear brought by the shepherd would be brought by the shepherd, listen now, to the owner of the sheep so as not to have to pay for the loss. In other words, just like they took the coat of Joseph and brought it home to Jacob and said, a wild beast has eaten your son. In the same way, here's why. Here's a practical reason the shepherd would go and would retrieve that piece of an ear. Because he would take that back and he would say, it's not lost, I've retrieved it. 
he would bring it back to the owner of that sheep. And he might say something like this. He might say, I've got 99 sheep here. One of them got away. And it, it suffered some awful damage. And its life was destroyed. But I've brought it back so that I can show you that none that thou hast given into mine hand have I lost. In other words, here's what he'd do. He'd take that sheep and he'd deliver that ear back to the owner of the sheep where it rightfully belongs to say, I've not lost it, I've kept it, and I'm delivering it back to you. You know what made me think about a passage that Paul gave to us through the Holy Ghost in 1 Corinthians? Paul's talking about the resurrection, you know. He says in verse 21, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming. In other words, those that belong to the Lord are not lost. They may die in this life, but they're not lost. They still belong to the Lord, and God's going to raise them from the dead one day. And then listen to what's going to happen. It says this, Then cometh the end. Just looking down into the future, towards the end of what we would call human history. Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For He hath put all things under His feet. But when He saith all things are put under Him, it is manifest that He is accepted which did put all things under Him. In other words, Jesus is ruler over all. He's Lord over all. All power is delivered unto Him. And then at the end of all that, at the end of the millennial kingdom, at the end of everything, the Bible says, and when all things shall be subdued unto Him... Then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that putteth all things under Him. This is why that God may be all in all. Here's man created by God from the dust of the ground, sent out, ravaged by the lion, ravaged by the devil. But guess what? The Lord Jesus, He has sought to redeem man and all those that will believe on Him are redeemed by Him. He's the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. In other words, He can save anybody, but He's only the effectual Savior of those that are willing to trust on Him and put their faith in Him. He becomes their Savior. And then He's gathering all of these sheep, all of this flock back together. And here's why. So that He can take that flock, take that kingdom, and present it back to the owner of the sheep, the one that created it all. Give it right back to the Father and say, all that thou hast committed unto mine hand, none of them have I lost. They're all present and accounted for. It reminds me he retrieved the lamb, but he returned to the lamb. You know, I don't know what wreckage a life of sin may do to you, but I know this, there's nothing, there's nothing that heaven can't heal. And I know that you may make a mess of your life and I may make a mess of my life, but if we're saved by the grace of God and we know the Lord, no matter how hopeless it seems down here, it still looks awful good in heaven and eternity. And I'm glad to know that one of these days every tear will be wiped away. I'm glad to know every pain will be removed. I'm glad to know every uh, scar of every sin we've ever committed will be taken away. And that little that's all I am, man. I'm just a little piece of an ear. There ain't much left, but one of these days I'm going to be presented at the throne of God as in complete as I, as unholy as I, as as unrighteous as I am. He's going to take and put me right back where I belong. Where I belong. I'm glad there's hope this morning with the shepherd. Listen, if that's you in any way throughout this message, if the Holy Ghost has rung your bell, called your name and said, that's you this morning. Why don't you get that thing settled? There might be lost people here. I don't know anybody's heart's condition. 
might be lost people. It wouldn't be a surprise in a room this size. Can, can I say this to you? You don't have to let the devil ravage your life. There's a shepherd there, strong and powerful, loving and mighty, that seeks to redeem you unto himself. You may be a part of the shepherd's flock. You may know the Lord as your Savior. You've been born again. You've been saved by the grace of God. But you found yourself drifting here lately. Can I tell you something? Don't drift too long. Because there's a lion just waiting to snatch you up. Why don't you close that distance and get back close to the Savior this morning? If you're, listen, if you're at the front of the flock, if you're right where you ought to be, if you can hear His voice clearly this morning, you know what you ought to do? You ought to find a place and pile up on this altar and just thank the shepherd that one day He looked down and saw that you were worth fighting for, worth dying for, worth giving His life for to redeem you unto Himself. Let's bow together this morning. I want you to respond to the Lord. Be obedient. Whatever He's dealt with your heart, Concerning, I want you to meet him at this altar and, and get that thing dealt with. This it might it might just be a word of gratitude this morning, it might be a word of repentance this morning. Uh, it might be there's some lost and undone that for you would be a word of faith and salvation this morning, uh, ceasing to depend upon yourself and calling on the Savior to save you. If you need somebody to pray with you, you know we'd be happy to. If you want somebody to take a Bible and show you how to be saved so you can get that settled, we can show you from the Bible what God says and promises. Whatever God's done in your heart, would you please respond to Him this morning? Father, bless this invitation. May it uplift the name of the Lord Jesus. It's in His name we ask.